Learn Persian with Chai in Conversation, Growing Up Nimruni Interview with Sierra Uruk, Director of the Movie Junam. Salam Behamigi, welcome to Growing Up Nimruni, where we talk to prominent members of the Iranian diaspora community. I'm your host, Leila Shams. Today, we're talking to Sierra Uruk, director of the movie Junam. As you'll hear in the interview, I recently watched this movie and absolutely loved it. I cannot recommend it more highly. But to begin this discussion and give you some context into Sierra, I'm going to read her director's statement about the movie. We can't go to Iran. It's too dangerous. Maybe one day the political situation will get better. As a child, I took this family refrain at face value. Growing up in rural Vermont in an English-speaking household, my mother's memories were the only window I had to understand my cultural identity. Visiting Iran was never on the table, and because of that, I grew up without much connection to it. My father was American, my friends were American, and I was American. The fact that my mother was from Persia, as she preferred me to say, an ancient empire absent from modern maps, was just a fun fact that made me feel exotic and mysterious. But in reality, for me, Iran was just food and holidays. Anything more was out of reach. Junam was born out of my deep, dormant, and unresolved desire to feel connected to Iran. Today, Iran is on the cusp of another revolution, and this time the fight for freedom is being led by women and girls. These last few months, I have been glued to the news and my social media feed, moved by the images of resistance and unimaginable bravery coming out of the country, and heartbroken to witness the horrific crackdown against young people asking for basic human rights. Iranians are fighting not only to liberate a country, but also an entire culture. And for Iranians living in the diaspora, this has seismic implications. The yearning that compelled me to make this film was born from the same profound desire, a longing to inherit more than exile from our families, a longing for home, a longing for our very identities. And with that, let's get on to the interview. So Sierra Yurik, thank you so much for talking with me today. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Me too. So I actually, well, first, I'm so sorry about your grandmother. I saw that she passed away last year. I'm sorry. Thank you. It's, yeah. It was such a joy to watch her on film and then and then seeing that bit at the end was really I mm. I'm glad that yeah. you guys got to do that project before that happened. Yeah, me too. It was a good you know, I don't I don't think I realized that I was spending like the last five years of her life filming her, but I'm so happy that I got to spend all this time with her because of this project when I probably wouldn't have spent as much time. Yeah. Um, so what was the but, timeline yeah. of the project and when did when did you stop filming? Yeah, so it was about five years wow. long, just as a, yeah, from start to finish. And most of the filming happened in 2019, over the summer spent with my mother and grandmother. But filming happened on either side of that year. 2018, we did a little bit. I did a couple other pickup shoots in 2020 and 2021. Okay. So it was a long, sort of a long, meandering process. <laughs> right. And at the end, it yeah. included some clips from the protests that are happening. So then that kind of yeah. threw me off. So did you go in and add those in later? I was editing when the protest started really taking off in Iran. Wow. So as we were putting together the final structure of the film, every night I would go 
home and just kind of scroll through what was happening. And I mean, it was like, yeah, so many feelings <laughs> came up from that. But, you know, it was really interesting for me to also see how that was sparking conversation in the diaspora and all these things I had been thinking about over the last five years about my identity and, you know, lack of accessibility to Iran and Completely. by proxy, what felt like, you know, lack of accessibility to my identity. And now everyone is starting to have these conversations out in the open because of these, you know, really moving, brave protests. And so all of that was really going on while we were editing, but really sort of landed me in this place after wading through these feelings over the last five years. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, I I have never gotten so many messages from people who are have grown up in the diaspora and have felt disconnected exactly what you're saying and all of a sudden you know want to learn Persian and you were a little bit ahead of the curve a lot of people that suddenly came up for them now but moving yeah. back so so we started that way I have a ton of questions for you this is like be a Sure. Our conversation, but I first wanted to say I got an email about this movie Junam that you directed. So we're talking about Junam that was just premiered at Sundance. Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow, premiered at Sundance, and so I got an email about it, and I'd seen you know things about it, you know, on social media, and I'd, I'd read there was a l- large showing of Iranian female directors in Sundance this year. There were three films, I believe, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I was very, like, I got the link and I was very resistant to watch it. I have to say, because I read the description and I was like, oh man, it's, it's been such a hard few months for all of us. Mm. And like all this trauma, we all have this like trauma from our families. We all have these like stories. Like I cannot Mm. watch another like trauma filled movie about (laughs) what's going on in like people's identity crises. So I didn't watch it until two days ago. (laughs) I've <laughs> been preparing this interview. Like, I kept putting it off. And oh my goodness, I have to say, it was such an incredible experience watching your movie. I mm. loved it. I loved mm. it. And sometimes, you know, Thank there's you. art that you come upon and it just makes you excited about life and excited about art and the possibilities of like filmmaking and like making art. And I, I really was like tearing up. I'm kind of like getting emotional now. I was like tearing up through half the movie because I was like, oh, this is like why we have movies. So I really <laughs> appreciate that you made this. It was so beautiful. And it reminded me a lot of the whole time I was watching it. The pacing is just so lovely. It's There's a lot of silence. There's a lot of just being, which is so hard to do. And it reminded me of Kyoto Sammy. So at first... <laughs> wow, thank you. Oh my God. It, it reminded me of like the the great like... Iranian cinema that I've like seen and I really I feel like you channeled that so I just wanted to start with that this is an incredible movie (laughs) wow thank you (laughs) and even though it like goes through difficult subjects and you know there is there's talk of trauma and all this stuff it's not like a depressing movie it's really lovely to watch and this place that you live in Vermont where is that in Vermont by the way what city is it it's like sort of central northern Vermont about half hour south of Burlington okay so yeah. that the city is like a big character in the movie, too. So that was really fun to see just the, you know, countryside and the silence there and the seasons there. And you can kind of Thank see you. everything going on. So, yeah. So wow. let's just start with that. <laughs> I encourage everybody to watch this movie. I'm super excited about it. And wow. exactly like what you're saying, like that ties in exactly to, to what's going on right now. So it couldn't be more timely. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, thank you for saying that. That is like the highest praise you could have possibly given me. (laughs) And I, you know, I wanted this film to connect with other Iranians, other like Nimrunis, other half Iranians, other people who are 
you know, maybe an immigrant themselves or a children of child of an immigrant. So the fact that it connected with you and that it didn't just make you feel super depressed right. <laughs> is, you know, the highest possible thing I was hoping to achieve. And, you know, it, it was, it is sort of a funny movie and it was supposed to be funny and it was supposed to be lighthearted and, you know, dealing with, you know, complex identity issues as well. But, you know, it's like Iranian women are you know, hilarious, witty, full of joy and love. And so I wanted to capture that about my grandmother and my mother and our dynamic. And so I really wanted a movie that wasn't just about our trauma, that was about, you know, the full dynamic in, you know, Iranian American families, how it can be so layered (laughs) and full of joy. Completely, completely. And I guess let's go back. There were a lot of flashbacks in the movies that showed like you growing up in Vermont. But let's go back to your childhood. Where were you born? What was your childhood like? I was actually born in Rhode Island, but my family moved to Vermont when I was just a baby. And so they still live in the house that they moved to, you know, 30 years ago. And I grew up in kind of a rural town in the foothills of, you know, the Green Mountains of Vermont and really identified with Vermont growing up and with my friends and you know we didn't speak Farsi in the home my father is not Iranian Gary June Gary June is Gary June (laughs) exactly this very sweet background figure in the movie you just see him popping up every once in a while just quietly doing his own thing just having my beer having my beer here I don't know what you guys are talking about you ladies are crying over there (laughs) that's the dynamic for sure (laughs) so you know and my my mother didn't speak Farsi because she didn't want to exclude him you know when you're in a household where only you know one member speaks a language it really takes a lot of effort to just continually speak that language even if the other people in the house can't understand and so it was just natural that we all spoke English at home were there any Iranians in the town or you know Vermont doesn't have a ton of Iranians I think we had like a couple family friends a few towns over but no one that I personally could identify with as another kid. And it was pretty, it was pretty sparse. You know, no one in our town was an Iranian. There was no one really that was super close in our life besides my extended family who was a few states over. Oh, wow. And so I think for me, being Iranian was always something that was my mother's identity, but not mine. And and feeling connected to it through her, but knowing that, okay, this is the family that I'm a part of, but it's really her thing and I'm just like her child and so it gets to be mine through that but nothing more wow so that's really where I was coming from just growing up and also where I was coming to with this film yeah yeah (laughs) so then did she teach you any words or what was your relationship with Iranian culture in general like you did Nowruz or you did yeah we did Nowruz my mom tried to teach me Farsi I think in more inconsistent ways of teaching me a few words here and there or she had some classes at home at one point that she would teach me a few words with friends, but nothing consistent enough to really have it be a fluent language that I was speaking at home. Were you interested when you were a kid? No, I was not interested. (laughs) You know, I think I, (laughs) my friends didn't speak Farsi, my family, it was only like my aunts and my uncles and, you know, my other cousins, maybe, you know, a few of my cousins did, but the ones that I was really close to weren't fluent either. And so I was embarrassed. I didn't want to speak a language that I didn't know how to speak. I felt embarrassed about people making a fuss over if I did say a word. You know, the family's so excited and they're so excited when you say something. And I was just shy and I didn't want to be, you know, fussed over. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I really rejected it, you know, as a kid. 
Okay. And then what about like the yeah. food or anything like that? Was that a part of your upbringing? Yeah. Yeah. My, my mom's a fantastic cook. And so the food was a huge part of the upbringing. Pressing June, Gourmet Sabzi, Asha Reshte. That was, you know, some of my favorites. Yeah. But I, it always felt surface level in those ways for me where we celebrate Nauru's, I eat Persian food. Right. I have this big family and there's so much fun, but it's kind of like the costuming of being Iranian without really feeling like, oh, this that's truly me. is something that that's me. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so you were um, four years old when your grandmother came from Iran. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Exactly. But she didn't live in the same town as you. They lived in, no, they didn't live in the same town. They lived a few states over there in Massachusetts. Okay. So then what was um, your relationship with her like growing up and with your grandparents? Because they couldn't speak yeah. English at all when you were little, right? No, they, and I was frustrated by them when I was little. It was like, who are these people right. <laughs> that have just showed up in my life and they can't talk to me and my <laughs> mom is making them take care of me while she's at work and <laughs> this is annoying and you know, I want to go to the library and she doesn't even know what the library is <laughs> and I can't, you know, I can't communicate it any better because I'm only 4 years old. Right. <laughs> and so I think I was really annoyed for a while as a kid of like just frustrated by the the barrier of language and they were somewhat unknown entities to me I think in the beginning of my life um and then of course as I got older they're just a fixture just a fixture of you know my grandparents but it was always surface level you know it's like these are the people that I know love me who I and I love them and and there's these terms of endearment that I know but otherwise (gasps) I don't really know who they are or we can't have a really in-depth conversation right were Um, you close to your father's grandparents at all no my father's parents actually died when he was young so okay I never knew them and my father's family is just a little bit more more distant and so they were my father's side was never a huge part of our lives except for a couple of people so it was really my extended family was my mother's side. <laughs> right. And you had a yeah. small family. It's just you, right? You're an only child. Okay. Me yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you get like annoyed by their kind of affectionate outpouring as well? The Your mom's side mm. of the family? Because there's a lot of, you know, Taruf and Iranian families and like a lot of like and pinching cheeks and just mm-hmm. very close physical physicality and stuff like that. So was that annoying yeah. to you or was it? It's funny that you asked that. I I think it probably was because it's just so much like in your space. And I was definitely a shy kind of And you're um, in rural Vermont where everything's just like far (laughs) apart and like these people are, you know? (laughs) I think it was because we didn't live near them. It was kind of like a spectacle for me. Every time we would go to hang out with the extended family, it was like, I live in this small town. There's only three of us. It's very quiet. And now- here's my family and it's like intense and everyone's shouting and grabbing each other and kissing each other and there's food everywhere and everyone's talking with their mouth open and it was just like whoa what is this and what about your mom like Um, would she have this like shift when like when she was speaking English with you in Vermont versus like when she was speaking Persian mm, with her with her family and stuff would you see her as like a different person or how did that work yeah exactly it was like my mother is the one at home and then when I when she's with her extended family I'm seeing her as like Iranian Mitra (laughs) my mom's name is Mitra and suddenly it was like oh she's a she's a sister she's a daughter she's like speaking in this language that I can't understand and so every time it was sort of like she was this these two people 
for me. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, my mom, I obviously call my mom, mom, <laughs> but every once in a while when I'll say mom on, she has expressed to me that it makes her feel like a mom in a new way because that's what she's used to calling her mom. <laughs> and so it's sort of like this split personality, I think, for her and for me, where there's the American English speaking mom that I sort of um, identify with or have built a relationship with. And then there's the, the Persian Mitra and I guess the Persian mom that I haven't always felt super, I'm not sure if connected to is the right word, but just it's like a different relationship that I haven't necessarily fostered and one that she's not always used to, you know, I don't call her mom on. <laughs> so, so then, yeah. so you grew up and you went to RISD, is that right, for your undergrad? So yep. throughout mm-hmm. that time, was there any changes or, or when did the spark happen when you all of a sudden thought, mm. oh, I should start learning Persian? Or what was, yeah, yeah. talk about young adulthood. Young adulthood. Yeah, I went to I went to the Rhode Island School of Design and studied art and found my way to filmmaking there. And then after I and I don't think, you know, my like Iranian identity, it still didn't really feel personal to me then. You know, I think this was post 9-11. I was in elementary school when 9-11 happened. I remember my mom telling me very specifically, like, say you're Persian, not Iranian, because you know, Iran is going to be associated with this place. And I don't want you to be subject to that, you know, xenophobia, racism. Right. And, and so I think in looking back, yeah. do you think that that was true? Or do you think that it was mm. like her own trauma, like causing her to think that? I think it was more her thing that she, you know, I mean, I'm sure part of it was true. But her stance has always been protection that, you know, be really careful about how you present yourself to the world. Because that will have ramifications for you. Right. And I think that's very Iranian, right. you know, of carefully curate how you are perceived because that will matter for your life. And in a lot of ways, it'll matter for your safety. And so I think that's how, where she's coming, where she had been coming from and where she's often coming from. Yeah. And um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is exactly this, what you're saying is your, <laughs> your mom arguing her, her thoughts on this. Yeah, exactly. No spoilers, though. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so, and you in general, like you're, you could pass as American. So were you, is that how it was? Or did you ever feel other when you were like in college, for example? Or did you feel like you kind of blended in? Hmm. I think I felt like I blended in. I didn't necessarily, I didn't feel a lot of, I didn't feel a lot of othering growing up, whether that was happening to me or not. I wasn't aware of it. Right. And in college, sort of the same thing. And I think that has sort of, you know, overwhelmingly been my experience, I would say up until now, which is, it's sort of transformed a little bit. Interesting. But feeling actually like, I am not from an immigrant family. You know, I didn't I didn't really see my mom in that light. I just saw her as my mom, who was maybe like a little weird and different. Right. <laughs> you know, as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, she's not like my other friend's mom. Right. But I didn't think about that in terms of her identity or her immigrant status or the fact that she's from Iran. I just thought, oh, this is a fun fact. My mom's from Iran and she wears makeup and the rest of my mom's friends wear fleece, you know, <laughs> It wasn't really, I didn't, we didn't speak a different language at home and one in school. I just felt like I identify with my friends and my community and it feels the same as it does at home. And my mom's a little weird. 
right? <laughs> <laughs> and and that's kind of the overwhelming feeling that I had throughout my life until Iran started to become a little bit more, I'd say, like in the cultural like news cycle, and then. I was playing with that as a young adult of, you know, this is part of my identity. Do I acknowledge it? Do I not acknowledge it? Am, am I using this as like currency to seem kind of exotic and interesting and cool in college? You know, I kind of played with, you know, what is this thing? Not without really investigating it further, just being like, oh, you know, maybe if I say I'm Iranian, I'll come across kind of edgy. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was more of a young adult and had graduated that I started to feel more of a pull to feel a personal connection to Iran. And how did that happen? Um, what was the, yeah, was there a spark or it was just a gradual? I think it was a natural gradual interest okay. of, you know, wishing that I could talk to my grandmother and her being embarrassed that I couldn't speak the language. And, you know, over time you, you go to family functions or, you know, various events and people introduce themselves to you in Farsi and then you can't really do it back and it's <laughs> embarrassing and, you know, auto automatically they kind of, it's natural. You end up kind of being on the outside, you know, if someone can't have a conversation with you, they say, oh, okay, you know, it's very sweet, but then they kind of move away from you. <laughs> right, right. And so I think I was just feeling a little bad about the fact that I wasn't as connected. And around the same time, my mom ends up calling me while I'm at this art residency, actually working on this other sort of experimental short film piece. And so I had a Zoom recorder with me at the time. And so she calls me because my grandmother is starting to open up in her older age with all these stories that she had never heard before. Wow! And so I was already in this place of like questioning my connection to Iran and wanting to speak Farsi. And then my mom sort of calls and beckons me home with these stories wow. from my grandmother. And it was like, oh, you know, maybe I should really follow this trail because this just seems like the right place and the right time. And yeah, this film began from a much more, I'd say, like naive place where I was just interested in these stories, interested in this place that had always been so exoticized for me and just having this natural interest to learn the language and talk to my grandmother to learn more. Which um, one of the funny threads throughout the movie is your quest to find a language teacher. And obviously, a lot of us know that there's big lack of resources to learn the Persian mm -hmm. language. So it just has you going through these different ridiculous resources and then eventually, you know, finding different people that you can have one-on-one -on -one tutoring with and then getting to... So when did when did that journey start? Was it just for this movie specifically or it had started before? It had actually started, I'd say, a few months before I really started the film. I was taking some classes in New York, actually. And so I had this basis of knowing the alphabet, <laughs> knowing what sounds the letters made, and just like some formal grammar. And then when I really thought, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just film this experience with my mother and grandmother and see what happens, that really set a you know, fire under me when I realized, oh, you know, I should really be able to speak the language because I need to know these stories. And if I'm going to make a film, I'm, it's going to be really helpful <laughs> in the editing process to know the language. So I thought, okay, let me see how fast I can learn to you know, have this be a helpful tool for this process. Right. Well, yeah. Tell, tell us a little yeah. bit about that, that journey, because I think a lot of people have gone through that. And let's just say you didn't find Shine Conversation back then, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what was the process of, it sounded like you started with Pimsleur or something? 
I started with Pimsleur and that lasted not very long. Right. <laughs> Just using, <laughs> yeah, using the, yeah, exactly. It was not exactly the, the format that was the most helpful for me. And then I found a tutor online and we would do just Skype classes, two hours. I think we did once or twice a week, even. It was pretty intensive. And he was really intense. He just like immediately started talking to me in Farsi and it was very fast paced. And, you know, I, I was coming from a very basic, you know, knowledge basis. And he was like starting from way up here. <laughs> but I, over time, I started to really feel, you know, for the first time, I would say a personal connection to the language and to Iran through those classes. And I think it was really about the fact that it wasn't coming from my family. It wasn't my mom trying to teach me. It wasn't right. me trying to decipher what was going on in a family function. This was my own thing. Right. I had set it up myself. And here's this person I'm speaking for a C2 that my family doesn't know at all, you know? Well, one thing that comes up in the movie a lot is just the, you know, we're presented with facts when we're kids. And we just take them as reality, like you're saying, like you have this Iranian mom or Iran is dangerous or, you know, these things are told to us. But then there's a certain point when you become an adult, when you think and say, well, is that really true? And for you, that comes up a lot in the movie where, you know, you're talking to your mom and you're like, well, I only have this version of this place that's presented through you, through your trauma, through your, you know, interpretation which, mm. I mean, there's a lot of layers to that. You're also interacting with your grandmother and what she's telling you through the interpretation of your mother. And like, you know, you're trying to keep her from censoring things like you. You're trying to get to the source and, you know, think there's so many barriers for you getting to the source. So then. Yeah. So, yeah, the language exactly. is a way for you to get to the source of, you know, what what this culture is. It felt like something real that I could hold on to. You right. know, if you have never been to Iran, when the facts are always seemingly kind of blurry coming from your family, you can't really decipher what's the story and what's real. And is this actually dangerous? Is it not dangerous? Right. What's the deal? You know, my family has never been back, but I just met these people and they go every summer. And so like, what's reality? The language was like, okay, this is something that has rules, <laughs> that has grammar, that I can learn, that I can have an association with outside of my family's shifting story. And it can be mine, you know, and it can be my calling card to feel like I'm a part of this community. So where are you now in yeah. that journey? Unfortunately, far from fluent still. <laughs> I've actually been really meaning to do some of your classes and your poetry classes. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll set you up. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Okay. I'll set you up with that. <laughs> well, I went through multiple features. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Which is a part of the film. Right. But the editing process actually became a part of my learning process as well. Getting the transcripts back for my grandmother's speech for the first time having to edit the film and adjust the transcripts that ended up being a lang a course in it of itself and just listening over and over again. <laughs> Actually, that's interesting. When did you start translating? Was it after you'd filmed everything you did a translation? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, amazing. So you were just discovering your film after you'd filmed it. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And in the editing I mean, process. I would have a sense. I would have a sense of I think something interesting happened here and I think it's around this topic generally, okay. but I don't really know what's being said. And so it wasn't until I'd say six months after the initial shoot had wrapped that I finally got a bunch of transcripts back and they would come in pieces because oh. it would take a while to go through the footage for people. Oh my um, goodness. And was she still alive when you yeah. got the transcripts back? 
Wow. So that yeah. scene where she's in bed, there's a scene where you're both in bed and she's just talking to herself and she's just like, Sierra, I've gotten so used to you. It's so nice mm-hmm. to, oh my gosh, that must have just been yeah, so it was emotional like, for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was really emotional. I mean, it was like meeting a new person. Yeah. It was all these things I didn't know about her. I was like, oh, she's funny and she's sassy and she's witty and she's saying these like poetic, heartbreaking things. And, you know, and I'm seeing myself in the footage have no idea, (laughs) you know? So it was like this total like reliving of the experience that I had just had. But yeah, with these like magic goggles to know finally what was going on around me. Right. Or even like, yeah, your mom's your mom's translations of things, again, were through her own lens. A lot of times your grandmother would say something and she would say something a little bit different and, you know, things get lost in translation. It's not. And your mom is like trying to protect you and, and all this stuff. It's so interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I felt that frustration in the moment. I, you know, I, when I started this project, I was coming at it, like I said, from a much more innocent place. And I had a lot more patience <laughs> in the beginning. And then once we were really filming, the filmmaker role totally fell away and I was just kind of swept up in the wave of just the dynamic and was a daughter more than a filmmaker. And so it was twofold coming back to that footage, first understanding what was being said and the, you know, understanding my grandmother through what was being said. And just to touch on that for a second, you know, I think it's really important, even in situations where maybe I knew the meaning of what she was saying, like, oh, she's expressing love right now, or, oh, they're talking about, you know, this family member and there's tension. Having it translated in the words that I grew up having an emotional connection to, English, really made all the difference. Even if I knew the meaning beforehand, reading it in words that have emotional associations for me made me be able to feel her in a new way, which was really interesting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and and for them, like, you know, the level of English that she knows and the level of Persian, you know, is it such a base level? It's like a, you know, a two-year-old, the way a two-year-old talk, you just know how to say, I love you. And yeah, there are emotions that we feel and they could be really powerful, but like to yeah. to understand that person in their language where they can speak like an adult is just so different too, you know? Like you're totally. saying, like it adds so many layers to a person. Yeah. And you know, this is a little bit of a digression, but before this project, I had worked on a theater piece and we interviewed a lot of people in Japan about their experiences with the tsunami and the nuclear fallout. And we talked to this one guy who had written this book about his experiences and he learned English to write a book about his experience of loss because it was too painful for him to write it in Japanese. And getting those transcripts back, I really identified with that because my emotional connection is through words in English because that's how I grew up. Right. And so even if I knew the meaning of what she was saying, being able to read them in English, I could feel them in a new way because I just am, you know, I was brought up with those words. So, so it was like really fascinating to just experience like how language shapes our connections and emotions and the ways that we think, you know, just everything. It was really fascinating. Yeah. So, so then throughout the process of making this film, so you said it took five years. And this was all before NASA Amini. So mm-hmm. how did your relationship with being Iranian shift throughout making the movie and through the editing process? Yeah, I, it shifted in a number of ways. I mean, like what we were talking about with language and being able to understand. But also this project is fully 
grant funded. And so at the same time, I was writing a lot of applications just to, you know, be able to sustain the filmmaking process. And a lot of that involved writing about me and writing about my identity and writing about the film itself. And through both the making of the film and the funding of the film, I had, I was constantly, you know, explaining my connection to Iran and to my identity. And it felt like, at first, it really felt like putting on a costume, like, I'm not really sure this is me. And then eventually, realizing, you know, this, this happy identity <laughs> isn't the lacking of being Iranian. It's not, it's not that I'm not, oh, I'm not Iranian enough, or I've never been, what does that even mean? I, you know, over the process really realized that this is an identity in and of itself, and it's not the lack of something that I wish I was more of, even if that feeling is sometimes a part of that identity. So I really, I think, settled into a comfort of like the identity of being a children, a child of an immigrant, and even further specific, being half of a child of an immigrant. <laughs> um, being actually not half, it's a whole identity. It's not just half of an identity. So that was a really nice place to land. And then when the protests started happening in Iran, Seeing that conversation come out in the open for the first time in the diaspora was really shocking because, you know, I think had that conversation been happening in the open five years ago, maybe I wouldn't have felt compelled to make this film. Wait, which conversation? Just conversations around lack of access to a place oh, okay, or, right. you know, trauma from a homeland. And, right. you know, towards the end of the film, I have a conversation with my mother about my frustration with her and her wanting to protect me. And I always felt like it was her fault in some ways that like she didn't, she hadn't given me enough or that she had built this wall of protection to keep me safe, but it was ultimately keeping me separate. And that was causing a lot of friction in our relationship. And seeing the protests happen and just reflecting on that feeling as I was editing the film, I really realized, you know, I'm I'm yelling at my mom in the kitchen because I can't yell at the state in the kitchen. Wow, you know? yeah. I can't yell at the regime in the kitchen. Right. And so who do I have to take my frustration out onto? It's my mother. Oh, you know? Yeah. And so all of that really just like hit home at once, seeing what was happening in Iran, seeing all of her fears, you know, be manifest manifested in all these social media feeds and and then hearing everyone in the diaspora talking about their frustration with feeling like this identity has been kept away from them or this homeland has been kept away from them. Right, right. Because it definitely was a shift because, yeah, before Mm -hmm. I feel like, especially in the post 9-11 stuff, it was just like we were trying to protect Iran from like being seen in an incorrect way. You know, the Iran that everybody Mm -hmm. knew, it was like, well, this isn't, the people aren't like that. The, you know, the, the government, we have to separate the people from the government and all this stuff. And then... You, like there was a lot of like let's not air dirty laundry like let's not give more fuel to like discrimination you know and then all of a sudden it was like no like we've been living like this is not iran this is the islamic republic like iran is something totally different we can criticize islamic republic all we want and i'm sure it was just like islamic republic propaganda too they always had that line of like don't give the west more fuel or whatever you know yeah so i think everyone was kind of under that and you know and and your mom like knew the reality of it and you know she she wanted to protect you from that so and it was so moving to see all these protests happening in the diaspora because my mom has so much fear about 
you know, sharing our story in its totality for fear of retribution or fear of being targeted. And so to see 200,000 people in Toronto or whatever it was, like, oh, these are all people that, you know, many of them are probably similar to my mom, but they're deciding to not be afraid right now. And these are all conversations that we had privately in our families or stories that we knew privately in our families. But let's not talk about it outside. Let's not air the dirty laundry for fear of racism in the U.S. and painting Iran with the wrong colored brush and for fear of what it could mean for loved ones in Iran or for our ability to return to Iran or all of these things. And seeing like this young generation in Iran say, you know, actually, we're sick of being afraid and, you know, screw you. And then to see this young generation in the diaspora saying kind of the same thing was like, I felt this kinship all of a sudden where this friction that I felt with my mother of, I know I'm sick of adopting your stories of Iran. I want my own stories of Iran and don't stand in my way, even though I know you're trying to protect me. Seeing that, that same sentiment, realizing that this, the same sentiment was like this fuel that was beneath the surface for so long. And now because of this bravery happening with the protests in Iran, people are really starting to talk about their frustrations with not being able to have their own access and a young generation that says, you know, actually I'm sick of it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's lovely. you can't take it away from me. So, right. Yeah. I haven't actually yeah. talked about this before, but in 2019, when there were protests where 1500 people were killed, I tweeted I, there was a video that came out of Iran and people were saying Magbar Khamenei, which they've been saying a lot mm-hmm. now too. But I retweeted yeah. that and I had cousins call me from Iran and say, hey, if you ever want to come back, take that tweet down. And I, yeah. you know, I thought about it for a minute and I was like, well, am I, I haven't been back since 2009, but I was like, am I ready to just say screw it? And like, you know, just for a tweet. And I was like, no. So I deleted it. And so I think back to that, you know, all of a sudden, like the floodgates became open this time and everyone was like, fuck it, I'm not deleting it anymore. You know, we're just going for it. So it is a huge, huge shift. Yeah. 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 And I had similar conversation with friends who, you know, would be posting things in support of what's happening in Iran on their Facebook and their parents would call and say, you know, like, maybe take it down. And it's like, yes, we're in support of this. But don't you be so exactly? <laughs> yeah, and I mean they—they've all seen the consequences. Like you said, you had two uncles that were killed. Is that right? Yeah. During mm-hmm. the so your mom is also—is she still Baha'i? She is not really actively practicing. She's not an incredibly religious person, but the family is right. Yeah. So that's even like a mm-hmm. whole layer of more persecution. So then, were your uncles also? Was yeah, it related to my that? Uncles. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It was my mother's uncles. And then my grandfather my was goodness. imprisoned at one point as well. So there's been a history of like really intense trauma in the family. And that was pre-revolution. Like when did your grandfather, when was your grandfather killed? So he wasn't killed, but he was imprisoned pre, actually it was post-revolution, but in the eighties when my mother was in college, her father was in prison. Oh, this was your grandpa, but your grandmother's grandfather. When was he killed? Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So my grandmother's grandfather was yeah martyred. Martyred. Yeah, it's a I guess a, a choice about what what word to I use. I love this but... movie. There's always like a she's saying murdered. You kept thinking she said murdered, but she was saying martyred. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Uh huh. And there's a family dynamic to that where my grandmother was very devout. The Baha'i faith is incredibly important to her. Uh-huh. 
And my mother always was frustrated as a kid of like, I'm not religious. Don't shove this down my throat. Like, leave me alone. And so my mother said murdered, but my grandmother said martyred (laughs) because he's a martyr. Yeah, He's a religious figure. My mom was like, I don't care. He was just killed. Let's not turn him into something that he's not. It's a judgment call. And so that's a tension. Got it. Yeah, it's a judgment call. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Okay, so then your mom's not religious, but then the persecution was related to yeah, the Baha'i faith. To him, to him converting to the Baha'i faith. Yeah, exactly. Okay, wow. So then, yeah. so after the movie came out, what did your, I guess the movie came out from Sundance. When was Sundance? In January, about In a month January. ago. Okay, yeah. so what's exactly, been your yeah. like relationship with the Iranian diaspora now, or how has it shifted? When did that, you know, now you're an Iranian yeah. female filmmaker. <laughs> Well, that's sort of the funny thing is that in making this film about not feeling connected to my Iranian identity, I've become like the face of the diaspora in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, I, I also still feel kind of weirdly unconnected. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, it was wild to be at Sundance. It's like I couldn't, it was such a dream to yeah. be invited. Well, how was um, that when you got that like acceptance letter? What was, where were you and what? <laughs> They call you, actually. I was driving on the highway to pick up my boyfriend from the mechanic Mm -hmm. and someone, I got an unknown number, called and it was one of the programmers calling to invite me to the festival. And I, you know, I was like dripping onto the steering wheel, (laughs) trying not to hit anything. (laughs) Yeah, wow. I mean, it was a whirlwind and Sundance is I mean, it was, it's a roller coaster of emotion. You know, the audiences were amazing. Everyone really responded um, to the film. And then you're like thrown in the sort of rat race isn't the right word, but you know, there's all this industry there. There's, you know, these you know corporate sponsors, there's these huge films with movie stars. And so a lot of the experience was also like, man, how do I fit into all of this <laughs> hustle and bustle? But it was a treat to share it with audiences. People really saw themselves in the film, which is more than I could have ever asked for. Right. So have you met like more yeah. Iranians now or are you what is your relationship to the Iranian community? Yeah, uh, through the filmmaking process, I have all my own Iranian friends now, nice. which has been <laughs> something that I didn't have yeah. <laughs> when I was starting this. And so it's definitely deepened where now I feel like I can belong to this identity in a way that I couldn't before. But it wasn't just because of the premiere of the film. It was because of this five years long process process of making it. And so, you know, a lot of that is applying to grants and maybe someone else who got a grant from the same foundation is also an Iranian. And so you're meeting each other as artists or, you know, going to a festival and you meet another Iranian filmmaker taking these classes. And so it was just a progression of small things that all added up to feel like, oh, actually, maybe I can call myself a Persian-American artist (laughs) or Persian-American filmmaker. And are your friends like, like, can they speak the language or are they like, you know, what what is... There's a mix. A mix, okay. Yeah, some people can, some people can't. And that's been nice too, to feel like even if these words will always sound a little bit foreign coming out of my mouth, or I can't make the perfect sentence, or I got like 60% of what that person said, it doesn't mean that I don't belong. Right. Yeah. Do you think you could have like persisted? I mean, this is a very strange hypothetical question, but do you think you could have just, you know, had this part of your identity 
just like in the background and continued mm. your life as you were going, like not really knowing anything about Iranian culture, not really caring about the language or wanting to go? Mm. Or do you think it eventually would have like bubbled up and and happened? I think it would have happened no matter what, because, you know, for my mom, she left and she's never gone back. And for her, I think she really like put that piece of herself on the shelf because it was too traumatic to think about going. When having a family separation of 15 years with her parents, not only is all this family history of, you know, assassinations or murders that have happened within the family, but seeing what's going on from the outside and then the fear of what if I go and I can't go back or what if my daughter goes and we're separated for 15 years. And so I think for her, it just made more sense to put it on the shelf and at some point, I think she probably stopped trying or thinking that it was a possibility to go back to Iran or have that type of connection to it again. But it was impossible for her to shed this part of her identity. It's who she is. Right. She's an artist. She's she makes she has this beautiful garden. She's you know she makes delicious Persian food. All of her art is about Iran. And so I grew up in that environment where. It was kind of this thing dangled in front of me my whole life that was so beautiful and tantalizing and delicious. Wow, and, yeah. and then it was a little bit of like, ah, but that's all you get, you know? <laughs> and so I think whether it was this film or some other thing that was the gateway to trying to have more than just a superficial relationship, it would have happened no matter what, because I was raised by this woman who has such a deep connection to her homeland that even when she tried to put it on a shelf to not create more pain, it just came through her pores. It was, you know, impossible. <laughs> yeah. So how yeah. how is this movie and how have the events of the past few months affected your mother? Yeah, she, I mean, she's been going through her own process. Before Sundance, she had a lot of trepidation about what am I going to say about the protests happening in Iran right now? How much am I going to speak freely and speak my mind? You know, kind of it restaged a little bit of worry for her about if I say what I really feel, will there be ramifications? But then being in Sundance in person and feeling the power of the crowd and the warmth of people wanting to connect. There were a ton of Iranians in the audience. I didn't know there were so many in Utah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, I did know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really gave her a lot of bravery and hope and happiness. And so she's been loving it. Yeah, I'm sure it's a transformative experience for her. And what about... Yeah, it, it has been. What about Gary Jun? <laughs> what is... Yeah. <laughs> how's he doing with this whole thing? <laughs> yeah, no one ever talks about No, Gary I, I want to know about Gary Jun. <laughs> yeah, he's been loving it too. Yeah, I mean, he's just a really supportive dad. And he's, you know, he's loving coming. He loved being at Sundance. He's giving me notes every once in a while about like, oh, you know, I think this scene maybe like could be a little bit shorter or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe lose this part. I don't know. And so, I Tell me yeah. about the scene where you go, what is it, duck hunting or something with him? Or what is he doing? Yeah. yeah what was, what was, <laughs> that was the scene. I was like, hmm, I don't know how it fits in, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. You know, that scene went in, it came out. We put it back in again. Yeah. We took it out again. It was really a question of, you know, this doesn't necessarily fit, but what does it do if it's in? And, you know, my attention with it is you're seeing all these scenes of young women, you know, fighting for their freedom and autonomy in Iran. 
And at the same time that I'm watching all of this and feeling these complex feelings, I'm going from duck hunting with my dad. <laughs> you know, it doesn't it doesn't really change actually the the immediacy of what I'm doing here in Vermont and that it's so far away, you know, what I'm going on this trip with my dad who is white, he's not, you know, he's not Persian. He's wielding a gun, which is maybe a little provocative, but it actually has nothing to do with violence. Right. It's just hunting. Right. It was meant as a contrast. Yeah, I love yeah. I like I love seeing <laughs> bits of him. What is his relationship to Iranian culture and has he tried to learn the language or anything? You know, he knows some swear words. <laughs> he knows some like provocative funny things to say. But I think he his role has really been one of support for my mom. You know, they met in college. He was with her when they got the news that her father was imprisoned in Iran. He was with her through those 15 years of separation. And so I think my dad, he's just a very supportive figure. And it's really been about helping to maintain like some peace in the home, I think. And that's kind of what my mom has turned their house into. You know, she's got this, she has this gorgeous garden, this really beautiful home. She's created an oasis and my dad's just there hanging out, you know, (laughs) (laughs) trying to keep like the, the emotion more like uh level i'd say you know my mom's family is like very highs and lows like very heavily emotional family my dad's pretty even keel you know i'd say like the needed foil (laughs) how did they get together what was that story they just just they met in college they both really loved the outdoors and yeah i think my mom because she is so emotional And I don't mean that in a bad way, you know, but she has such passion with everything that she does that my dad is a really necessary part of our family. He helps keep, he helps keep things, you know, a little bit calm. He's grounded. He's he's the perspective. He's grounded. (laughs) He's like a calming presence to return to. So if I was to psychoanalyze my mother, (laughs) I would say that she probably really appreciated that in him when they met. Well, I I definitely felt like he was a, important figure in the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> can't downplay the role of Gary and what did they do for a living so my mom's an architect and she's mostly retired now and then my father works for the state of vermont for like environmental preservation essentially okay. yeah, my husband and i are both architects so we saw the oh <laughs> we, well we saw the <laughs> one scene where she has all her plans around but i, I was like i feel like gary's also an architect but I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. Yeah, no, he's not an architect. A similar field. <laughs> well, cool. Well, uh-huh. I guess, yeah. is there anything that we haven't gone over that you want to add about your experiences with hmm. running culture or the movie? Or I don't think so. I mean, I, I really wanted to talk to you because I have been following your Instagram posts for a long time and your language <laughs> classes came onto my radar. I'd say a little too late, unfortunately, with some of the language learning process in the film. And then I I had seen that you had reposted my TikTok that someone had shared about their emotional experience taking your classes and connecting to their identity. And so I thought, wow, you know, the the audience that I really made this film thinking about seems to be the same audience that is so connected to what you're doing. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, and so that's why I really wanted to talk to you. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. yeah I, yeah. As yeah. soon as I, I had the exact same experience, as soon as I started looking into you and your work and your, I was like, Oh yeah, exactly. This is who I need to be talking to a hundred percent. I started this project in 2009 as a kind of 
response to the green movement that was happening and just the post 9-11, you know, yeah, I felt like Iran was in the news all the time and in such a negative way. And then I realized, you know, one of the ways that we can really connect with each other and like show the beauty of a culture is through language. That's, you know, it's a, when you can learn the language of a people, you can really understand them. And then I looked around and I was like, there's no good language resources. And my mom actually was a, like, she had the first uh, Persian class in Dallas where she would get me and a group of friends together to teach us how to read and write and like how to keep the language. It was very important to her to keep the language alive. So I started this project. And over the years, I, I keep thinking like, surely a resource will come along with like a lot of, you know, money behind them or a lot of more resources than I have and just make the best program ever. So I've just, you know, slowly been working on this. And like every year I'm just like, not still nothing, no one. Hello? <laughs> is it? Is, it's really is there shocking. Anybody out there? It is shocking until, you know, recently someone asked me, well, what are the like business uses of learning Persian? And then I was like, oh, right. There's like sanctions against Iran. There's not like a bunch of businessmen going over there and like learning. So of course nobody wants to like, teach this language. The only reason people learn is, you know, to, because they've married an Iranian or they, you know, grew up in an Iranian household, didn't grow up speaking, or it's all because of just like love, you know, love of people, love of the language, whatever. And there's no like money in that. (laughs) So no one comes in and like, or there's not a business implication for it. So I feel like maybe that's the reason that there's That's so fascinating. Yeah, actually, now that you say that, that was the overwhelming experience in making this film is that you're trying to learn the language and there's not a ton of resources. And then, you know, you find a teacher and then politics, you know, got in the way of that, where suddenly now I can't even learn the language because this person has, you know, gotten a job that makes it such that it's not okay for them to be teaching me anymore. Or, you know, I can't, mail something back and forth to Iran because of sanctions. I can't go to Iran, you know, because my family has raised me with this idea that it's too dangerous. And there's a number of reasons why it might not be wise for me to go. I can't go to Iran, even if I wanted to, with any sort of ease, because it's my mother who's Iranian, not my father. And so I can't get a passport because I'm half from the wrong side, because we don't recognize women. And so it felt like every step of the way, there's a barrier. And, you know, like, oh, maybe I'll just do a Google Street View. Oh, yeah, of course, Google Street View doesn't make it exist in Iran. And so it felt like, okay, the only thing available to me are like these family photos, maybe some YouTube videos with someone's like editing and music on top of them. What sort of direct relationship (laughs) can you have with this place? And that's what's so frustrating sometimes is you just want to feel connected to your family or your identity. And politics is suffused in everything we do because of this authoritarian regime and the complexities between the U.S. and Iran specifically as well. But yeah, it's so fascinating that you say that because of course, you know, of course that's why there aren't these resources. (laughs) Right, right. But yeah, it's something that we haven't, you know, talked about a lot or I I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's very, very strange for a language that's spoken by so many people and so many people want to learn it. Like, why is there not more resources? But 
Yeah, but we'll get you signed up for the boot camp. I'm excited. (laughs) I think you'll find your people. But yeah, this was so fun. It was so good to meet you. And and like I said, that was such a wonderful movie experience. I can't wait for everyone to see it. And one last note I wanted to say, I love your character in the movie as well. Like you're, you show up sometimes and like you're learning Persian and everything, but for a lot of it, you're just kind of a silent character who's there just observing your mom and your grandmother. And I love that too. <laughs> so Thank your you. character, Gary June, everything, everyone fit so well in this movie. I just, <laughs> I cannot stress enough how much I love this movie and everyone should see it. So I can't wait Thank to you. get more information about that. And yeah, Sierra Jun, thank you for talking with me today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for making your time. This was such a treat. And that concludes our interview. Thanks so much for listening. Again, please come join us at tryingconversation.com with Chai spelled C-H-A-I for the most comprehensive Persian language learning materials you'll find anywhere. Our theme music was written and recorded by Babak Rajabi. Thanks for listening. And until next time, Khuda Hafiz from Layla.